true of our lives as we submit our hearts to your scripture. Uh, it is our desire that we would acknowledge your glory, acknowledge your greatness, that you are Lord of lords and King of kings, that you are our Lord, our Savior, that your grace is sufficient to live out uh, the commandments of your word. And I pray that as I preach your word this morning, as it is read, that it would be quickened by your spirit to our hearts, that you would enable me to faithfully preach it. In Christ's name. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And I will be reading verses 17 through verse 32, though we're going to be stopping on the sermon at verse 26. Hear the word of God. And the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, and brought them out, and said, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning, and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted into his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> it may seem like a strange thing to think of the church as triumphing in the midst of persecution, especially if you're the one that's being persecuted, and yet that's exactly the picture that the scriptures uh, set before us. Even in the bitterest time of persecution, the church is advancing. Christ said he would build his church so that even the gates of hell could not prevail against it. And so you can kill a Christian, but you cannot kill the cause of the gospel. That's the picture that it paints. Uh, the early church father, Tertullian, who was born around 150 A.D., he went through all kinds of terrible persecutions, and he said this, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The more you mow us down, the more quickly we will grow. The blood of Christians is fresh seed. In other words, for every drop of blood you guys shed, uh, there's going to be that many more Christians that are going to rise up uh, to take their place. And that's precisely what we found in terms of the church's growth over the last uh, 2,000 years. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And even though these people are trying to resist it, to stop it, 
It is a vain attempt to stop it. And I think that's something that Christians need to understand. Many times we take the opposite perspective, that we're doomed, you know, that the, the gospel's uh, being pushed back, pushed back, and we're finally holed up in a little fortress. No, it's hell that's the fortress, and their gates will not be able to prevail against the advancements of the gospel. Now, that does not mean we cannot be bound, because these apostles are bound uh, in prison here in verses 17 through 18, and we may at some time uh, face a prison as well for the Lord's sake. But let's look first of all at why it was that they were bound. Verse 17, Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And somebody might wonder, why in the world are they so angry at the mercy ministries that these people are engaging in? You would think that if people on a private level could be solving these problems, then it would, you know, take some of the load off of the civil authorities. They're not going to have to deal with these problems uh, in the future. Why would they be angry? But it's not just the healing. It's the fact that these healings were having an impact in culture. Uh, in verse 14, there's multitudes of people who are becoming Christians. In verse 28, the leaders complain, you have filled Jerusalem uh, with your doctrine. And so the bottom line issue that I think they were really upset about was that these apostles and the church itself were having an incredible impact upon that culture and it was perceived as being a threat uh, to uh, these leaders. Now, if the apostles had kept their religion privately in their closet, they probably would not have made uh, very many waves there. But these Christians were not leaving their Christianity to Sunday morning. It was spilling over into everything that they were doing uh, Monday through Saturday. And I would dare to say that Sunday morning Christianity would not have been a threat back in the first century, and it is certainly not a threat today. But if you have a virile Christianity with the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is affecting the things that you are doing throughout the week, it's going to receive some backlash if there are enemies of Christ that are out there. It's going to receive some backlash. And so my question would be, if you have never received any persecution in your life, you need to ask yourself, what kind of Christianity do I have? Because Paul promised, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. This is one of the things that made the Soviets so angry about the Christian church in the years leading up to their uh, disillusion was that Christians were having an impact upon society. In fact, that's one of the things that I found uh, in China. China recognizes that Christianity was part of the factors into the division. There were other economic things as well, but they credit Christianity with that. They credit Christianity with the fall of Romania. Uh, uh, and uh, the Soviet Union itself was afraid of the impact that Christianity would have in their nation. I've read some of the Soviet laws. They're just as crazy as the laws that these Sadducees want to set up. Uh, for example, the Soviets made laws that no private person could give charity, feed the poor, start an orphanage, a library, or a hospital. Let me just quote a little section here. They forbade, quote, setting up benefit societies, cooperatives of industrial societies to offer material aid to their members, to organize children's and young person's groups, or to organize groups, circles, or sections, to arrange excursions and kindergartens, open libraries and reading rooms, organize sanatoria. I think sanatoria is where, you know, people who have tuberculosis or other diseases uh, are, are staying while 
Hopefully they're getting better. Sanatoria or to offer medical aid. Uh, Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn pointed out the tyrants have always uh, tended to be opposed to private uh, mercy ministries like that that are not authorized by the state because not only is it outside of their control, but it sets up uh, authority, uh, as it were, that people have that people will look to and they perceive it as a, a threat. Early Rome perceived the mercy ministries of the early Christian church as being a threat. And they outlawed orphanages. They outlawed Christians picking up babies that had been left out to be exposed. And um, we see similar restrictions in modern China. And the reason Christianity has grown so much there is that it is not just a Sunday religion. And I think that should be a challenge to us. Richard C. Halverson, a former Senate chaplain, said the time that the church should be having its greatest impact on the world is when all its buildings are empty. Think about that. That's when we should be having the most impact. Uh, Christianity is a lifestyle. It is not a meeting that we somehow schedule into our tight schedule on Sunday morning. No, it is something that affects absolutely every aspect of our meeting. And so our greatest uh, impact on the world is not in the Sunday morning worship service. I think some people make far too much of the church and its government and its programs, and they make far too little of what Christians are to do once they leave the doors of the church and they go out into the world. And they begin to implement God's blueprints in all of the things that they do. And so it was a practical Christianity that was being persecuted. Verse 18 goes on, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Now, that wasn't very uh, nice that they didn't at least give them their own private cell or put them in with some righteous folk. No, they lumped them in with common criminals that were out there. Um, and uh, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, don't expect that people are going to make a difference between you and other people who are in prison. They're going to assume, hey, if the state is uh, arrested this person, this Christian, he must be a pretty bad person. Uh, you may have to bear the shame of being lumped together with thieves and murderers and extortioners and others who truly are evil. Pro-life leaders uh, today uh, have found themselves uh, incarcerated along with those uh, others. In fact, when I was in China, and that was one of the things they kept hammering at me because I was acting like a dumb American. And they said, I want you to understand this is as serious a crime, meeting with Christians, as murder, treason, and drug dealing were the three things that they, that they pulled out. Well, Jesus was associated and lumped in with uh, criminals as well, wasn't he? He had two bandits who were crucified, one on either side uh, of him. And he has promised, he knows the grief that we go through, and he has promised that his grace is sufficient to take us through that kind of persecution as well. Now, in this case, uh, it's not God's will that they remain in prison very long. They're released. And so beginning in verse 19, it says, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Uh, God doesn't always guarantee that he's going to get us off the hook uh, when we get persecuted like uh, these people did here when they're falsely accused. But one of the things you can be absolutely confident of is that nothing in heaven or earth will be able to keep you out of prison if God's will is that you should be in or keep you in prison if it's God's will that you should be out of prison. 
when you are the butt of persecution, just be confident in the fact that God is sovereign and he is going to be using this for the advancement of his kingdom. Um, that's assuming, of course, you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, Peter says, you know, if you're being persecuted because you're ornery, well, just go ahead and suffer. But <laughs> he didn't quite say it like that. But he's talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, one person expressed a real concern about my going back to the country where I was arrested. But I'm convinced just as we cannot die one day sooner than God has ordained for us to die, we cannot be in prison one day more than God has ordained for us to be. Now, let me comment for a moment on the nature of the miracle here. Verse 19 says, But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And I want to take uh, an opportunity to encourage you guys to read um, a little bit of church history and read some biographies of some of the great saints of the past or uh, of missionaries, and you will see this is not an uncommon thing that God does miracles on behalf of his people or uh, where he delivers them. His angels continue to be ministering spirits, and we ought not to be deists in the way in which we think about the world and think, well, angels functioned back then, but they do not function today. No, he continues uh, to use them, and Hebrews says they are sent as ministering spirits. Uh, in the country I grew up in, in Ethiopia, we heard stories all the time of remarkable deliverances that God brought to his people, as well as times when God didn't bring deliverance. God allowed them to be beaten. He allowed them to stay in prison or to be executed. And in both of those scenarios, God is still sovereign. Is he not? He is still in control. Uh, God can deliver us by taking us out of prison, or he could take us home to glory. That's another kind of deliverance, is it not? But in either of those situations, he does it as it works best for the advancement of his kingdom. Now here, God makes clear that the deliverance was for the sake of ministry. Just quit? Let me... No, you don't have to quit. Okay. <laughs> it did, huh? Okay. Anyway, uh, take a look at verses 20 through 21. He said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. When God prolongs our days here upon the earth, he does not do so just for our comfort. He does so because he's still got more time for us to serve him. Is that not right? We're to be servants at God's disposal, whether we live or whether we die. And we're to seek to honor and to serve God to the best of our abilities. Uh, when God allows his servants to die, it is not a wasted life. And we're going to be looking at that in Acts chapter 7, a remarkable man whom God cuts off before he's been able to even do very much ministry. Some people grieve when they see remarkable men who have been cut down after a year or two of ministry and they had high hopes for this person. It is not a wasted life. We'll be looking at that in chapter 7, Lord willing. But you know, the same can be said of all of the deliverances that God brings into our lives as well. Let me just give you a couple of examples uh, that I'm familiar with uh, from Ethiopia. And uh, in this one uh, situation, there were a couple of evangelists who were captured and were put into prison. They were given 100 beatings apiece and uh, the jailers taunted them and said, you're never going to get out of jail. You will not survive this jail. 
That night, God brought a, a big storm. It blew the roof right off of the jail, and the rain melted the uh, mud walls so that all of the prisoners escaped except for the Christians. They were too weak to even move. But the jailers came through, and they saw this as being the hand of the Lord there, and uh, a couple of them became Christians, and they allowed the Christians to be released. Uh, another time, there was a, a man that uh, the authorities were going to make an example of. And they gathered the whole countryside together, and they said, we want you to watch this execution because this is what's going to happen to you if you become a Christian, if you follow the God of these Christians. And so they, wa- uh, they had a man back up his truck, called it a quatrantra, and uh, he was supposed to run at this guy and squish him and just make it look like an ugly death to put the fear of God into these people, but their God, not our God. And uh, this guy ran the truck toward this person right in front of the person on the road. The truck abruptly stopped. He backed up, ran it at him. It abruptly stopped again. When it stopped the third time in front, the guy got scared, opened the door, and ran off. And all of the people who were gathered around said, wow, This is the God that these people follow. And uh, it opened them up to listening to the gospel. And many of those people became uh, Christians. Uh, And there's many other stories from China and Russia and other countries where people have either been delivered for further service or uh, they were left in prison because God's ministry for them was in prison. And they led many people to Christ uh, there. Our life or our death is for the purpose of ministering to His glory in the capacity that God has given to us. Now, the Sanhedrin at this point is not aware of what is going on. They think that they have the situation completely under control. They've arranged a meeting of Congress, as it were, and uh, they think, okay, this is no problem, piece of cake, we'll take care of this. And let's pick up at verse 21, uh, second clause. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now, it's rare for the Sanhedrin to be agreed on anything. If you know the history of the Jews back then, there was a lot of fighting that went on in that Sanhedrin. Uh, The Sadducees against the Pharisees, and there were a couple of other smaller sects as well. But one thing they were united on at this point is they didn't like Christianity, and they were opposed to Christianity. Now, no doubt they were confident that they would be able to deal with this problem uh, in you know, just a matter of minutes, deal with these leaders, cut off the head, and we'll be able to deal with the body, right? And there are many people who, when they get into positions of power, they substitute for humility arrogant, prideful confidence. And it, it can be easily true of any of us, no matter what positions we're in, whether it's as a parent or as a uh, leader of a church or of the state, uh, we think, we're in control. We can handle this. We've got everything put together. And after a while, God brings enough problems into our lives, we realize we don't have everything under control. Uh, Only God is sovereign uh, in that. We're dependent upon Him for everything. So one of the things we can just look at just on the outside is we do not need to fear just because they're confident that they're going to win the battle. We do not need to be afraid. God can undo them just as he undid Haman in the book of Esther. Now, look at their surprise in verses 22 through 23. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. 
Uh, the officers had checked all over the place, and it looks like there's just no way this could have happened. Everything's secure, and yet they're gone. Does this make them a little bit nervous that maybe a miracle has happened? Does it make them think, well, maybe God's on their side after all. Maybe we ought to watch out. It does not. Now, it does frustrate them, uh, but it does not make them submit to God. Notice the uncertainty that they have in verse 24. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. I want you to notice that their wondering was not about the miracle. In fact, miracles did not seem to phase them. Uh, we already saw in uh, chapter 4, verse 16, that they already have admitted that the apostles have done a notable miracle, is what they called it, uh, and yet it did not convert them. It did not change them. I had one person that I was witnessing to one time tell me, well, if God does a miracle right here in front of me, right now, then I will believe. And I told him, you probably would not believe, even if somebody was raised to the dead right now. And I read him some scriptures that showed that his problem was not ignorance, uh, lack of information. His problem really was rebellion. Now look at verse 16 that we looked at uh, uh, last week, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. In the last four chapters, there have been a multitude of miracles. In fact, with Christ and the apostles, they have seen more miracles than any other generation of Christians prior to that, or people prior to that, uh, have seen, and yet they were not converted. What they were wondering about was the outcome of this affair. It was pragmatism. They were wondering, you know, what they're looking for is not the truth. They're looking for, you know, is there something here that's going to be hindering what we're wanting or is it going to be helping our immediate perceived needs? And I think this is instructive when we are wrestling with humanism for how we ought to deal with things. Uh, it's true that education and the political process are important. And it's true that the Bible is something that works. It's pragmatically true, and you ought to tell people that it's in their best interest to follow the Scriptures. But teaching people alone is not going to uh, convert them, apart from God's grace working in them. I think this is one of the problems um, uh, with the John Birch Society. Uh, they have done a lot of great uh, research, a lot of great publications, but they were convinced if we can get enough facts together and present these facts to the American public, that'll just solve everything. Everybody will come back to conservatism. Uh, they had just as much a messianic view of the state uh, and I mean, of education as uh, the liberals do. And um, we need to recognize, apart from regeneration, apart from the power of the gospel, no amount of facts is going to bring our country back to God. In fact, you look at the you know, the confirmation hearings. There's people there. It's pretty obvious. They're not interested in finding out about the facts, uh, finding out what is true, what not. They've got their mind made up. They're out for blood. And so while education and the political process are very important, we need to be involved in them, uh, Christians must put their faith not in those things, but in God and in the gospel to change society. And I think it's ironic that many conservative Christians have put all of their eggs in one basket. They're putting all of their hope in the government to fix things, and by that I mean they're opposed to big government, but they feel the only solution to get rid of government is with government. 
Uh, and to me, it seems ironic. Uh, their solution to government is government. Now, I'd be thankful if that happened. Uh, any incremental help, we can get along those lines is fine, but I must insist that the only ultimate long-term solutions is the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming people and causing them to submit to God's laws, His Word, in every area of life. So if rational thought all by itself were sufficient to convert or convict these people, uh, that would have happened already. They would have been convinced. It's not enough to address the intellect. The whole person must be changed in regeneration before his humanistic resistance to the gospel is put down. And by that I mean that um, convincing people and conversion is more than an intellectual um, an intellectual issue. You've probably heard the expression, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Uh, that's just saying that there are people who can know the truth, but they still hate the truth. And let me just give you an example of how this uh, works out. The scientific evidence for the fact that a, an unborn baby uh, is a, you know, is a human, uh, has pain, has brain waves, has all of the other things, uh, I think is quite, uh, quite obvious, but it has not changed very many people's views. It's true, there are some people out there who are opposing abortion from a humanistic uh, basis, but what the majority of people have done is they have said, oh, okay, you've convinced me that he has pain and the, the baby is maybe a human, who cares? It's still, uh, abortion is something that is necessary. They've just changed uh, where they have backed up to. And this is why I resist the Roman Catholic notion that natural law and natural thinking is sufficient uh, in the debates that are out there. We don't need to bring the scriptures to bear in people's lives. And I say, no, it's the scriptures that God has ordained are going to bring conversion that's going to change people's lives. If all you're doing is reasoning on a humanistic plane, you're not going to get very far. Now, on the other hand, it's not that God's against evidence. And he gives plenty of evidence to leave people without any excuse. And these people do not have any excuse. And so I'm not opposed to evidence, but I just want you to realize our trust must be in the Lord. It's not by our right hand. It's not by princes that we trust. But our trust is in the Lord. Now look at the dilemma that they face in verses 25 through 26. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Now, this poses a problem for them. Failure to arrest the apostles might erode the Sanhedrin's power and allow the apostles to gain more converts. But arresting them might cause a riot, in fact, might make people sympathize with them even more, so they got a dilemma, and what they're trying to do is not create too much of a stir amongst the people. Uh, they uh, play it cool and do it without violence. And all this to, is to show that the Sanhedrin, really, even though they have the power at this point, they are the ones who are on the defensive. It's not the apostles. It's the Sanhedrin who is on the defensive. Um, they might rage. They might use all of the cunning that they have. They might threaten. They might beat these apostles. They might do what they, what they can, but they are on the losing side. God is in control, and God will not allow them to overstep the bounds that he has already set for them. 
And by the way, this is what frees the apostles up to be so bold. Um, they know God can handle all of their opponents out there, so they're freed up to focus on their responsibilities. And I think many times we're fearful and timid and anxious and getting all stewed up over things that are not our responsibilities to be thinking about. Uh, we worry about the things we have no control over, and we just need to realize God can control all of that stuff. And if we have an absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God, then we can be freed up to do our responsibility with boldness and leave the results in God's hand. So anyway, the church was advancing like a mighty army. The mighty Sanhedrin was on the defensive because God's fighting for the one. He's fighting against the other. And we can have exactly the same confidence and the same comfort should we receive that kind of persecution uh, in the future. God is glorified whether he restrains the wrath of men or whether he allows it to have free course. In fact, I didn't write it down here, but there's a, a verse in the Psalms that talk about the wrath of man, God making the wrath of man uh, to praise him. In fact, I think sometimes the church makes greater advancements when it loses at times. It creates holiness within the church. God allows even the wrath of man in that way to strengthen and to purify the church. Well, let me just quickly summarize what we've said this morning. Even though we ourselves may be bound, just like the apostles were, God's word cannot be bound. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And somebody might say, well, if that's the case, how come we're being persecuted? No, the reason you're being persecuted is precisely because Satan knows that Christ's kingdom is advancing. It makes him enraged. Uh, he can't stand the idea that the church is having an impact upon society. It is practical Christianity that is being lived out in the world that is dangerous to them. And you might be able to escape persecution if you're content to be a part of a church that you know, bows to every dictate of Caesar and offers up incense to Caesar and, um, you know, is willing to restrict its Christianity to Sunday morning and maybe um, sometimes Sunday evening. But uh, God calls us to more than a Sunday go-to-meet-in Christianity. Uh, he calls us to love him with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our strength, with everything that we have. And if you are bound, it's for the Lord. If you are free, it is for the Lord. It needs to be used for the Lord. It's one thing for enemies to be seeking to bind the progress of the gospel, but it's a totally different thing, and it ought never to happen that our fears and our laziness and our shyness binds the word of God. Jeremiah was in that pickle one time. Uh, he said, you know, I'm getting really sick and tired of being persecuted all the time. I'm just not going to speak God's word anymore. And he tried. And he had a hard time doing it because he said that word was like a fire within him and it just had to have an outlet. And so he went back to getting persecuted some more. But he preached the word. He just kept on preaching the word. And that is what God calls us to do as well. He calls us to not allow the word of God to be bound, to be bold in the advancement of his cause. And if you wonder how you can do it, just talk to Pastor uh, Glenn or talk to myself there's all kinds of ministry opportunities inside the church and outside the church that are suited to your unique personalities in which we can be a part of the advancement of the army of the Lord Jesus Christ may we do so amen Father God we thank you for your word 
Uh, we pray that you would prosper your word in our lives and cause it to strengthen us, give us boldness, and cause us to make a difference in our culture. I pray that you would bless this, your people, with your mighty presence. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.